I want to take just a little liberty today with our scripture lesson in the few short moments that we have together printed in your order of worship. It indicates that our scripture lesson for today is Acts chapter 4, and that is the case. It is one that we shared with the earlier service today at 845 as we kick off these great 50 days of Easter and the challenge. And in that passage, it says something about the church. The early disciples gave us a pathway for how to become one. Unity has been our theme today. You've heard it in the liturgy, you've heard it in the music, and you're going to hear it in these next few moments. In Acts chapter 4, it says the whole group, the whole group of believers were of one heart and of one soul. There was no private ownership of anything. They held all things in common. And with great power, they all gave their testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. And those who owned land and houses sold them and brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to all who had need. We read that in Acts. But Paul says something in Ephesians that I think is quite apropos to this class today and to all of us who are here, something that's close to my heart. It's a verse that I want us all to, to memorize. In Ephesians 4, 32, we read, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, through Christ Jesus, forgave you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In just these few short moments that I have here today, I want to say a few words directly to our 23 confirmands today and their families, and, and hopefully it has something to say for us as the church as well. Because in just a few moments, these students are going to come back up here, and we, as their congregation, will enter into a covenant with them. We'll make a promise to them that we are going to walk with them along this journey that they're just now beginning. Sometimes I get asked about my vision for the youth program, and some of you have heard me say this, it's very close to my heart, but basically there are five core values that I have for our youth program, for our next director, for our students, for our families, and for us as an entire congregation. I want us to be of one heart and one soul holding all things in common, no private ownership of anything, but we're all in with the mission and the vision of Jesus Christ at First United Methodist Church. We give our testimony about all the great things God is doing in our life together. So from this moment on, the very first thing that, that I want to share as part of that vision, it has five core principles, is that every student who comes into this program today as a sixth grader they have seven years with us, and they'll be standing in front of us as graduating seniors, just as our own graduating seniors this year. That class will stand up here shortly. They came in just like you did. And so from the time a student enters into our program to the time a student graduates, the first thing I want is for that student to have a strong biblical foundation. I want every student to know something about every section of the Bible, if not every book of the Bible. They just received their Bibles. Some of them brought them with them today. At the most de defining moments in a student's life, we do two things at this church. We call their name and we give them a Bible. So at their birth, they receive a Bible from this church. As third graders, we hand them an adventure Bible. At confirmation, you get another Bible. This one is called the guidebook 
because it's a, a map for your life. It's a guidebook. And then we give them a Bible when they graduate from, from high school. So we get Bibles at every moment. We call their name at every moment to say, God knows you by name. And this book, this living, breathing book, this is your ongoing conversation with God if you'll engage Holy Scripture in that way. It is your nourishment. It is your manna. It is the sword of the Spirit, as Paul says. It's our only offense against all the world throws at us is the Word of God. And so by the time these students graduate, by the time you graduate, teenagers, I want your Bible to be shredded, your confirmation Bible. I want it to have highlighter all in it. I want it to have notes and tabs. I want the spine to be all busted up because that Bible needs to go where you go. We give you a lot of other books in life. We give you math books and history books. And we anticipate that you'll be great mathematicians and scientists and historians and English majors and students of literature, but your church has given you a Bible because it is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. I want you to know, for example, by the time you graduate, that there's two creation stories. Did you know that? Two totally different stories. I want you to know something about all the covenants and how God is revealed in those covenants. We just finished a whole sermon series on that. I want you to know the value of Torah, that's Jewish law, the ethics of God's called people in, for today's world. I want you to know about the rise and fall of the kings. I want you to know a psalm and have a favorite psalm. Psalm 46 is mine. And Psalm 23, I have two actually. I want you to know the importance of the prophets. I want you to know that there's 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God wasn't just silent. God was still at work. What does that mean? I want you to have a favorite gospel, and I want you to have a favorite parable. My favorite gospel is Luke, and my favorite parable is the, the parable of the prodigal son because it, it pulls me apart and puts me back together in a different way every time I read it, and I've read it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I want you to know how the Bible ends. I want you to know that it begins and it ends in a garden, and that says something about God and us too. A biblical foundation is how we are of one heart and one soul, okay? Secondly, second thing I want students to know between now and the time they stand here and we send them out into the world is why Jesus Christ matters, why the church matters, and why this church matters. FYI, that's something we all should be able to answer. Why Jesus? Why the church? And why this church? We're going to spend time helping you answer that question. Because what Jesus does through the body of Christ called the church is changes our story and gives us meaning and purpose and forgiveness. The third thing, the third core value I have for our students is that by the time they, they graduate, they will have served in several capacities beginning in their own zip code and then somewhere stateside in a domestic mission opportunity and then hopefully we'll have the opportunity to go to travel somewhere in the world worldview matters but it begins right here in our hometown and making a difference near and far it's the way that we get to to live out what what's called the great commission matthew 28 when jesus said go into all the world and all the gospels tell that go into all the world go into jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go to Jerusalem, that's your zip code. Go to Judea, that's your state. Go to Samaria, go to the places 
where no one else wants to go, and then go to the ends of the world. We, we have the capacity at this church to, to make a difference on a large scale. The fourth thing I want for our students engaged here um, at First United Methodist Church is I want them leading in worship. One part of that is, is through our acolyte program. Our acolytes are not a perfunctory role where they bring in a cross and some light and then take it back out. They are leading us into the holy and they are leading us back out into the mission field. But some of you have spiritual gifts. We're going to help you discover your spiritual gifts along this journey. And in worship, I want you to share those gifts as musicians and vocalists and speakers and, and artists. And when you take these membership vows here in just a moment, you are a full member. That means I can put you on any committee in the church, right? Yeah. And I want to. Why? Because I need your voice. Look at me, students. I need your voice at the table. I need your ideas and your passions and your heart. I want to hear from you, partly because I want to stay cool, but really I just care, like, what's going on in your life and how can the church be there to help shape the next generation? Your voice matters right now. And finally, I want every student who comes through this program from the time they enter the program to the time they leave to be able to name her or his five. This is really important to me. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to be able to name up to five people outside your nuclear family or those persons seated on the pews with you, five people in your life on whom you can call day or night who will be there for you. Somebody you can call and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you listen to me? Or, hey, I, I need a ride. Or, hey, can you just be there? Uh, in my Linton Covenant group just a few weeks ago, I shared this and how this is important to me. And I, we were already beginning to pray for Confirmation Sunday. And I was sharing with them that, uh, that I would be offering this, the name your five. I, I want to be, that's very important to me. Um, and I was thinking about a story that's told in the Gospel of, of Mark, the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, I think it is. Do you remember the story about the paralytic man, the man who couldn't walk. But he had four friends. Do you remember this? He actually had four crazy friends who picked up one side of, of that stretcher because they heard that Jesus was coming to Capernaum. They heard that Jesus was going to be at, at someone's house. And they just thought, if I, can, if I can just get my friend right there in proximity to Jesus, just maybe, maybe Jesus could could heal him. Or maybe like the woman, he, he, she just touched the hem of his cloak and she was healed. Maybe there's a shot. Well, you know what happened. They got all the way to the house in Capernaum and there were so many people they couldn't get their friend to Jesus. So they did something radical. They climbed up on the roof. Do you remember that? Now thatched and mud roofs, they, they pack over the years, they get really hard. But these four friends cared enough about getting their friend in need to Jesus that they scratched and they clawed their way through. I, I've been trying to think, like, what was Jesus thinking when some particles started falling from the ceiling, right? Whew. What did he think when the, when the roof opened and the sun broke through and then all of a sudden a man is, is being lowered? You know what Jesus said? Get up and walk. Your faith, their faith, has made you well. I want to know who your, your five are. It was four for this guy. You might have two, you might have three, but maybe you have five. 
Who are your four crazy friends, your four people, your five people who would do anything to help you get to Jesus Christ? And not only that, how are you being that for someone else? How are you being someone else's five? I remember mine very well growing up. They were Sunday school teachers, youth director. The pastor who, who baptized me was one of the coolest people I, I knew. He was one of my five. My organist and music director were, were among my five. There you go, fellas. There you go. They all invested in my life, and at various points in my life, they asked an important question. They said, Jay, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And over time, they helped me do what you just did. They helped me say yes to Jesus in front of my church. Just this past week, I was, uh, like many of us on staff were doing, we were volunteering at the Baptist Health Clinic. Um, we were helping others who wanted to get vaccines, to receive vaccines. Don't worry, I did not put a needle in anybody. I was just checking on people and waving, doing my pastoral thing, right? So Laura Selby, one of our staff members, was working there. and She called me over. She'd been in a conversation with somebody receiving a shot. And I immediately uh, recognized this guy. He was a former teammate of mine from 30 years ago. So we caught up for a few moments with each other, told one another where we are in life. And then he asked me this question. He said, hey, do you remember Coach Stewart? I said, do I remember him? How could I forget him? Coach Curtis Stewart, who was called Scrap Iron, he joined the coaching staff, Jeff Davis, one of the years I was there. This guy was, he was full octane, wide open. He was the strength coach and the running backs coach. I was neither strong and I was too scared to run, but he didn't care. He adopted me. He adopted several of us, and he would not let us quit unless our mamas made us or unless we just fell out, right? But we were not disciples of Coach Stewart because he pulled out of us more than we thought we had to give. We were disciples of Coach Stewart because at the end of every practice, or the end of, he put his arm around us, he told us he loved us, and then he shared the gospel with us. And he was unwilling to allow a single minute to pass without saying, I'm proud of you. Now, are you okay with Jesus? And he had this saying. He always said, one time, one time, one time. You ready? One time. He said that over and over and over again, as if to say, this is one time. You're one moment. You're one shot. You're one opportunity right now with this one team to make it count. Oh, he was inspiring. When someone invests that much time and energy into your life, it changes you, right? And I thought for a long time that it was just me, because I'm kind of dramatic and I'm kind of passionate. And so I just thought that maybe it's just me responding to Coach Stewart that way. So when we received word one day that Coach Stewart was killed in a car wreck on Highway 80 between Selma and Montgomery, we were absolutely devastated. And I went to the funeral by myself. I didn't know what to expect or if I would be out of place. I just, I just didn't know what to think, but I knew I had to go. And I've witnessed something I'll never forget. Hundreds of people showed up at that small rural uh, church. There were more people standing outside than there were seated inside. Player after player would step up to the mic and step up and say, Coach Stewart's simple acts of kindness changed my life forever. So many of his players came from broken homes and impossible situations, but 
Coach Stewart never missed the chance to say, one time, right now, and to craft his words and to see each person as a child of God for whom one simple act of kindness could change the trajectory of an entire story. And so 30 years later, in the former old Navy building on the bypass talking to a teammate, there we were attesting to how one person's kindness investment in our lives changed our story. He was one of my five and and will be forever. Who are your five? And how are you being someone else's five? So the goals I have in mind for confirmation class and for all of us are things I cannot emphasize enough. But I just wonder if the greatest contribution that that we can give our, our students is to help them be kind to themselves and kind to one another and kind to others on the gridiron and in the recital halls and in the lunchroom. Because what the world says is you take care of you and you be guarded and don't let anyone see your weakness and never miss a chance to hold the past against someone else. But what Paul says in Ephesians is be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving just as you have been forgiven. The great 50-day challenge continues, and I'm reminded of something that Mark Twain said, kindness is the one thing that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. It's a universal language. We're going to create a culture, a culture of kindness, a culture of mutuality, a culture of hope, a culture of purpose, because from this day forward, students, I want you to be what's called that one. I want you to be that one who overcomes bitterness with hope. And the one who does not see distinctions in others as points of division, but as God's creative beauty at work in the world. I want you to be that one who can forgive when everyone else around you is saying, no, no, get back at that person. I want you to be that one who sees the classmate sitting alone and, and strikes up a conversation and becomes a friend. I want you to be that one who overcomes selfishness with selflessness. To be that one who rises above all of the gossip because we're commanded to love our neighbors and our enemies just like we are ourselves. I want you to be that one who puts the church and the youth program ahead of all the other activities that are tugging at your schedules. That one will be tough. I want you to be that one who looks past all of the insults and sees the pain that that's causing it in someone else's life. I want you to be that one who practices kindness because what we know is that our words and actions might just be the only Jesus that someone ever sees. So brothers and sisters, what is true for our students is true for for us as well. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another and yourself. Just as God through Christ has forgiven us, Be that one act of kindness in someone else's life this week. Maybe it changes their story. It most assuredly will change ours. Thanks be to God. Amen.